Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intracasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a baller rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously. If you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying nothing for it, but you want to help support us, go give us a five-star rating. It takes less than a minute of your time. In fact... I've started doing shout-outs to listeners who give us a great rating on the air. I'll read a new five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family Dungeons & Dragons news podcast. You listeners out there have been so wonderful at leaving reviews. I'm going to do two reviews this episode. They're both a little shorter. The first comes from a listener whose iTunes name is Unnoticed Eye. He goes by another name, as you'll see in this review entitled, I Love the Tome Show. This is Laura Thorne, a.k.a. The Elven Wizard King. I am rating the Tome Show five stars because I love it, and it has rekindled my love of Dungeons & Dragons. Also, I am making it my goal to get the Dungeon Masters Guild to be referred to as the Doomagoo. If you are hearing this, I have partially succeeded. I love that. I, I think that's awesome. From now on, it's the Doomagoo pick of the episode. Laura Thorne is one of my favorite supporters. He used to have an amazing blog called Elven Wizard King in which he shared a lot of great ideas for DMs. He's not updating anymore, but reading the archives is worth it, so we're going to link it in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for the shout-out, sir. It means a lot. Our next five-star review comes from John So. His review is entitled Terrific Show. Here it is, short but sweet. He says... Great show with lots of variety, insider news, reviews, and advice. Thanks, John So. Looks like you know something. Be like Laura Thorne and John So. Give us a five-star review and get a shout-out on air. Please use the affiliate links on the thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to the thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available again. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs and tons of other gaming products, miniatures, board games, all kinds of great stuff. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is the original out-of-print Ravenloft Adventure. This bad boy started it all. It is a classic. Adventure in the original Barovia. Fight your way through the original Castle Ravenloft and get a taste of the original story of D&D's greatest villain. This is an older, rare product, so getting it in great condition from Noble Knight for 50 bucks is a steal. Get it now at NobleKnight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers. Use a Noble Knight. To sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. Today, we are talking about the Curse of Strahd storyline and a couple of previews that go along with it. But 
Before we get to that, let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question, which is, what D&D storyline do you want to see converted into a 5th edition adventure? Allison Rossi is back with us at the roundtable. Allison, how are you? Okay, so I am doing fantastic, um, and I guess uh, to start off, I'd, I'd like to see a new storyline um, being brought into things. I've only been playing for less than two years, um, mm-hmm. so I, I just like seeing new things, um, not so much conversions, um, just because I feel like they're more inclusive to me, because a lot of people, uh, especially some of the people at my table have been playing since before I was born, uh, so they know a lot of the old adventures, so you know, I like new things where everything's still a surprise for all of us. Nice, nice. I feel like you just cut some of our listeners very deep uh, with that. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't mean to do that. I'm just saying, born. you know, I didn't get to get into the awesomeness that is D&D until, you know, a friend introduced me to tabletop RPGs in college. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. I'd love to see some new stuff come out of 5th edition, you know, Tyranny of Dragons was kind of fun to see something new. Uh, maybe we'll even see a, a new campaign setting one day. Uh, so that would be pretty cool. Uh, Neil Pow is also back with us. Neil, what D&D storyline do you want to see converted into a 5e adventure? I want to, but at the same time, I'm afraid of what it'll look like. But I would love to see them attempt Undermountain again. I know they kind of dabble back into it. Mm-hmm. So... That would be amazing. It'd probably have to be a series because me personally, I remember what it was uh, playing before you were born. No, I, I haven't been playing that long, but um, <laughs> I remember what it was in second edition and then how kind of disappointed I was when it wasn't as large when they've redone it before. So Sure, sure. Yeah, Undermountain is a, is a classic, uh, so it would be really cool to see them uh, convert that. Uh, and for listeners who don't know, how would you describe Undermountain? The original one was every room brought you something you weren't expecting, and it was probably death. But um, <laughs> as most adventures of that time were, yes. <laughs> well, because I mean, back then there was no, it wasn't the structure of I'm in this level, so I am this level, and then you go to the next one. You like randomly go into a room and drop three levels down. Now you have to figure out how are you going to get out without dying. Super fun. Tons of fun. Spoiler alert, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, new to the roundtable is Michael Robbins. Michael, how are you? Tell the listeners a little bit about your background with gaming in D&D. I am good. Thank you very much for the invitation to be on tonight. Um, I fear that I may be in the crowd that Allison was talking about. <laughs> I am getting dangerously close to having been playing for about 30 years. So I started uh, back with Oriental Adventures uh, for like, my gosh, I think it was first edition back then, which now in retrospect, I'm sure would be a horribly un-PC title. Yes. Um, <laughs> Just a wee bit, yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I've been playing, you know, through all the different editions and other games besides D&D and, um, and now started a couple chapters of the Horde of the Dragon Queen and I'm playing in a different fifth ed game. Uh, with a friend who's doing a homebrew setting. Excellent, excellent. And what D&D storyline do you want to see converted into 5th edition? Uh, I am a sucker for old dungeon magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I still have like the comic book boxes in my basement of like all the original hard copies. And I think that a lot of times the 
things that were being printed in Dungeon Magazine were a lot of times better than the things that were actually marketed as like the official modules. And so like Wolfgang Bauer has an old adventure called Kingdom of the Ghouls, uh, which is funny because now reading it, you can like see like stuff that is now in Midgard. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he has an underground ghoul city in Midgard, right? Uh, yeah, and it's called the White Kingdom, and this place was called the White Kingdom. Like, there's <laughs> there are definitely things that that bled over into it. Uh, there was a really good storyline set in Greyhawk called uh, it was all about the city called Istavin, and it was like a trilogy called the Touch of the Abyss, the Shadow of the Abyss, and the Wrath of the Abyss. So, I would just for the sake of the question, I'll pick that one. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's awesome, and it's a great pick. I actually agree with you about Dungeon Magazine. There's a lot of gems within those old magazines that uh, that you can mine. That's where all it seemed like like the best player sort of stuff was as well. Probably because it wasn't as play tested as thoroughly, uh, and so it was a little more broken. <laughs> <laughs> I remember some ridiculous prestige classes coming out of that. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about the latest D and D storyline, Curse of Strahd, uh, which has already hit some local friendly game stores by the time this podcast drops. Um, we are, of course, recording it before then, and we're going to talk about some previews that are available for free. Uh, so, if you haven't picked up the adventure yet. Uh, you should definitely check out these previews. We're going to link them over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com for this episode. Uh, and the first thing we're going to talk about is a new background for characters called the Haunted One. Uh, and the Haunted One is a character who is haunted by something so terrible that they dare not speak of it. Uh, it is great, uh, particularly for your gothic horror Ravenloft, Curse of Strahd campaigns that you might be playing. Um, you know, this is this is sort of the adventurer uh, who uh, is dark and mysterious and aloof. Uh, I really enjoyed reading about it. Uh, I did have some questions about like. Is this the kind of adventurer who doesn't really want to party? Uh, that they're they're so aloof, they're not hanging out with their party or anything. But it's they seem to do a pretty good job of giving this person enough uh, flavor and everything, but not taking it so far that maybe they don't want to hang out with people. Um, it's got the usual bonds, flaws, personality traits, uh, you know, proficiencies, and and a feature called the Heart of Darkness um, that is kind of like all of the other background features, just in it different way people are scared of you so they do stuff for you um so uh let's kick it off and and talk about this background a little bit allison what did you think of the background so i really like the idea of this background and i think i'm actually going to use it um my saturday campaign my dm wasn't really feeling the homebrew that we were doing i think a lot of it's because he was super super excited for the curse of straw you know storyline to come out uh so we kind of ended that yesterday and we're already thinking about our character ideas for this um, so all of us were discussing, you know, kind of the haunted one background or being monster hunters. Um, so I think this is going to be extremely useful for creating my character for the, uh, Curse of Strahd adventure. Um, I like the idea that it comes with a monster hunters pack, like it comes with the, uh, crowbar, the hammer, wooden stakes, holy symbol, holy water, manacles, etc. So I thought that was an, a nice little touch for the flavor. Um, like you said, I, I am a little bit worried that certain people use this as an excuse to be dark and brooding and my parents and my family are dead and, you know, I'm, I'm a hermit and I don't like talking to people. So hopefully it doesn't promote too much, um, you know, people not wanting to be part of the party, but 
they are and trying to take the spotlight because they're so they're such a tortured soul or whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll see how different people play this. Yeah, I think my favorite part of this was the Monster Hunter equipment pack as well. That uh, Yeah, I thought that was a really fun touch. Yeah, yeah, it's all stuff you would see in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was really, really great. When you mentioned Hermit, I think that's a good point. Hermit is like the ultimate loner background. Um, yeah. And uh, and people manage to make that work within a party. So I guess uh, if somebody really wants to be a not cool player, uh, they can do that with any background, I would imagine. Um, so, so, you know, that's true. That's true. It all depends on who's playing this. Uh, Neil, what did you think of the Haunted One background? I like it because it didn't, it feels like it takes over a spot that the, the main backgrounds in the book don't have, which makes perfect sense because we haven't had anything like Curse of Strahd. A couple things that stand out are the Monster Hunter pack and that it expressly tells you that you're getting a discount on the items. Like, <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out like why that was necessary, and it just makes me laugh. Because it says you can buy it for 33 gold, which is cheaper than buying the items in it individually. I'm like, are they trying to upsell me on the Monster Pack? Like, <laughs> yes, they are. But you get this free the, discount. <laughs> that, that's how the DM gets all his numbers, guys. He won't get any credit if he doesn't have a background for, for the haunted one. Then the other thing was number six, and it made me think of the uh, background from your setting, James, mm. the... You were cursed with lycanthropy and later cured. I think that those harrowing events lend themselves to so, so, so much deep, deep backgrounds. And I hope that that's the road that people go rather than what we've talked about. And like, oh, I'm a loner and don't don't want to interact with anybody, but rather be willing to bring forward whatever crazy story they have to tell. Yeah, I, that's what I really love, too, is, is this rich sort of – they have a, a – D10 harrowing event table where they're all sort of these supernatural events, which is great because you don't often see uh, supernatural events or beings or anything like that tied into the Watsi backgrounds directly. Um, so it's cool to, to see that, that it's not just a soldier. It's like, hey, you had something really terrible happen to you and you were possessed or you were turned into a werewolf or that kind of thing. Uh, I do like that they're they're taking that approach with this. Uh, Michael Robbins, what did you think of the Haunted One background? Uh, I thought – so, you know, the, the folk hero is like the only background that I can recall that really has the defining event from their past. And so I thought it was interesting that this has the, the harrowing event and its feature – like the flavor text is different, but basically you get the same thing that the folk hero gets. Like the common people will stick up for you and take care of you and put a roof over your head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so I thought it was funny that it had both. Um, there's a there's a comic called uh, Lord Baltimore, which is uh, a spinoff of like the, the creative team that does like Hellboy. Mm -hmm. And I could easily see like that mentality kind of being used for people who wanted to play this background and he that that character has like a team so i mean you could definitely do it without being like the crazy solo loner guy i like that you like the the i like that for the extra language you have to take some kind of bizarro exotic language <laughs> um to like represent you know your exposure to something crazy and insane my favorite part of it though there's a particular flaw 
that says, I have certain rituals that I must follow every day. And I could imagine playing this background and like coming up with some of the craziest crap that would just <laughs> like the rest of the group be like, what do you have to do every day? At, you know, sundown. <laughs> oh, this is what I have to do to prevent myself from being repossessed by the evil spirit of Malcor and blah, blah, blah. Or something, you know, just some crazy backstory. <laughs> yeah. And it's super fun because I think, uh, you know, once that becomes an established, well, I have to do this every day. How can your DM then exploit that flaw in a great way? Yeah. Oh, you're fighting and now the sun's going down. And it's like, oh, guys, well, before the sun goes down, you know, I got to start burning (laughs) my incense and and bathing my feet in goat's milk or whatever it is I have to do. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be awesome. (laughs) I have something to go off of that, too. Um, Some of the different, like, personality traits and bonds and ideals and stuff I thought were kind of interesting. Um, Two of my favorites were, I don't run from evil, evil runs from me. <laughs> and my my favorite that I think I'm going to use is, I talk to spirits that no one else can see. Because all I can think of is a sixth sense. Like, just walking around, talking talking to spirits or something, and no one else sees. Totally sixth sense worthy. That, that would be a lot of fun in my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And again, another great thing for a DM to sort of uh, exploit. Like, what happens when the spirits finally start answering you back, you know? Um, there's there's definitely good stuff to be had in there. And so in addition to this background, which we want to know what everybody out there thinks, so hit us up over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com or facebook.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, but in addition to this, uh, we also had a introductory adventure called Death House, um, which is <laughs> uh, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's deadly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a a deadly um, uh, sort of introduction to Ravenloft. Uh, you could get started now, even if you don't have the Curse of Strahd book, uh, where you know you're you're drawn into the realm of Barovia. Your first adventure centers around uh, going through this big creepy house uh, that has a lot of ghosts and undead and terrifying things within it. Um, it certainly fits uh, the idea of gothic horror and Ravenloft. Uh, it certainly sets the scene for like, you probably don't want to play this adventure with your eight-year-old kid, um, you know, uh, because of no. sort of... <laughs> the Definitely horr- not. <laughs> right, right. The horrifying things that are going on in it and, uh, you know, I think it does a great job of setting the mood. Um, we, we're certainly going to talk about everything, including the, the kind of balance of the adventure. Uh, so what did you guys think of this adventure sort of overall as an introduction to uh, the Curse of Strahd storyline, setting the mood, uh, and and that sort of thing? What did you think of the, the mood of this adventure? Neil, we'll start with you. So when I first read it, for whatever reason, my brain read it as Delta House. And I, all I could think was double secret probation. And I'm like, that's not the tone of this adventure at all. Not at all. Um, and now, but of course I can't get that out of my head, which is too funny. But the, the thing that scares me the most is putting my players in such confined spaces. Like, they, like initially that a lot of people don't realize, like, if you have four people and every hallway is five feet, like the things you can do to your group and terrify them, it, it just goes through the roof. But I, and I think my favorite feature was, and it seems like it fits so well, is having your group have to go through all three stories of the house before they can even go down. I thought that was a really cool feature of the entire 
the entire module. I like that a lot. And I love how, like you said, this is a very claustrophobic adventure. Um, you know, it, it's 12 pages of 38 rooms, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is, which is actually, when you think about it, not a lot of space to put 38 rooms. Plus there's, you know, some of these pages are maps and introductory sort of stuff and, and all that for a, like a big house. It is tiny cramped spaces, um, which I think also contributes somewhat to the challenging aspect, certainly, which we will get into in a second. Uh, Michael Robbins, what did you think of the mood overall? of this adventure uh i really love like all of the fluff like the descriptions of the rooms the party can like if they're searching for secret doors and walls they can find like weird creepy images that are like secretly carved into like the wood grain and stuff like that there's a lot of you know rooms that there's no combat encounter it's just something interesting for them to find like just for the atmosphere of the place um, the only, the, the, the overall mood thing that I don't like, and I mean, I know I've listened to interviews that you've had with other people and uh, shows that like Sean Merwin has done trying to write like the intro module of different seasons for, you know, for organized play. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but the beginning of this is, is the railroadiest of railroads. (laughs) And I mean, they are literally like, if they try to go anywhere else, they end up back on the path. If they don't go into the house, the borders of their entire universe starts to shrink until they have nowhere to go, but inside the house, once they're in the house, they can't leave the house. I mean, and I get that that's, that is part of Ravenloft and that's part of the deal. But at the same time, extremely limited player agency there. Right. Yeah, instead of it being, oh, you, you get into Ravenloft and you can't leave, but you have this whole place to explore to try to figure out how you're going to leave, it becomes you have to explore the Death House. There's even rules for if your players burn it down, how quickly it rebuilds itself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like if helping the kids, if helping Rose and Thorn is not enough motivation for you, Tough. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> uh, Allison, what did you think of the mood of Death House overall? Uh, well, uh, being that it's named Death House, obviously going into it, I was like, well, um, I have a feeling uh, most, if not all, of the players will die in this uh, short little campaign. So um, reading it, I wasn't really surprised with the entire tone that was set by it. Um, you know, like was mentioned before, a lot of things. Uh, you know, seem like something that they're not, um, you know, the, if you take things out of the house, they slowly decay. Um, things are carved. Um, like for example, the, the doors in one of the rooms is carved with dancing youths. But if you look closer, it reveals that they aren't really dancing, but they're fighting off swarms of bats. Um, yes. you know, there's different things where there was like a, a, there was a mirror that had berries and vines around it. But if you look closer, there were eyeballs carved in as well. Um, figures of dancers uh, on a mantle place that, you know, you look closer and actually skeletons. So lots of things that seem like something that they're not, which was a really cool touch to it. And I feel like it'll be a good way to prompt players to look a little bit closer at things. Overall, though, I thought this was really, really cool, um, you know, house, despite the fact that you're like, yeah, if the players are very railroaded. You know, the, you're taken by the mists, and then the mists keep you on your path. And that, that is the way Ravenloft is. You know, the, you're not really supposed to escape unless you're meant to be mm-hmm. out of, you know, Strahd's domain. Um, 
but I, I think it could have been a little bit less railroaded. Maybe Rosenthorn, you know, found the players elsewhere and brought them to the house or something. They're cute little kids, uh, you know. That, that that would be a good enough reason for players to help out, right? You know, even though they're not actually the kids. Um, but overall, I thought this was fun. I was surprised how many rooms were crammed into one little PDF. I saw it was 12 pages and scrolled down to see how many rooms there were. <laughs> and there's a lot. <laughs> But yeah, overall, I'm excited to run this. It's going to be fun to see what my players do because they're very clever. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great little adventure to be able to get completely for free from Wizards, you know? Yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit. We So we're, t- we're talking about the fluff. Let's talk about the crunch. Uh, Michael Robbins, why don't we start with you? We talked a little bit before the podcast began. This uh, Death House lives up to its name. It does. Uh, I would be very terrified to run my party through something like this. Like I feel like it's the way that it's laid out and the way that they set it up for like when the party will level. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's totally conceivable that the group could still be first level when they fight the specter. Yes. There's not Mm -hmm. a whole lot of classes that are proficient in con saves. Mm -hmm. So if this thing touches you, you take like 3d6 damage, and if you fail the con save, you're dead. There's no other death saves. You're just dead. Mm-hmm. And and 3d6, I mean, that's enough to kill anybody at first level. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there's a fight later where, you know, and you would be second by then, but four ghouls. That's a lot of paralysis getting tossed around. Oh. Five shadows. That's a lot of strength chain. Ghasts with their aura. And then the Shambling Mound, which, <laughs> you know, it only has a speed of 20, and they do specifically say, like, it won't leave the cellar area or whatever. So, I, you know, I can only assume you're supposed to run, because I, I don't know how level if 2 you're PCs... you're even alive at that point. <laughs> that's true, but I don't know how level 2 PCs are going to fight a CR5 monster. No, no. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is an insane last encounter, and, and there's a way to avoid it, but it does, I mean, this is a... A punishing introduction, uh, particularly, I mean, first level characters in 5th edition are just so easy to kill. So, yeah, it is It is interesting to, to see. But I guess, uh, again, in, in the tradition of Ravenloft, uh, things are hard uh, and unforgiving. <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely, particularly if I was playing with new players... Uh, and this was an introduction, and somebody had just handed me a backstory for a character and, and all that goodness. Uh, this would be very hard, because I feel like I could wipe the party quickly uh, with this adventure. Uh, Allison, what did you think of uh, the mechanics of this adventure? So as was already said, uh, this this is definitely the death house and not the, the life house. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, players coming into this are very, very likely to uh, die. Um, just because of the challenges that they're going to be facing. I mean, there's tons and tons of rooms and definitely not most, most of them don't have things happening in them. But um, when they do get to encounters, it's, it's going to hurt. Um, I mean, as I've mentioned before in previous podcasts, my table is generally seven players. Um, and I even think with seven players, they, they're going to have a hard time with this at level one. Um, obviously you do have the milestone where you can get to level two, but you know, how much will that help them um, with a, a little bit extra help? Uh, probably not much. There are some weapons you can find around the house, uh, but I don't think it's enough to really save you from all the things trying to kill you. 
Um, (laughs) Sometimes it's just like, well, you might as well just burn yourselves down with the house because you're not getting out. (laughs) You know, if if you do things the wrong way in the end, the house is just going to try and kill you anyway. So it's like, well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and it's funny. There are some, I mean, there are some really great moments here you know specifically i think the the adventure in some ways is encouraging players to do things like run away from a shambling mound or uh you know maybe try to outsmart something or or maybe don't you know make the ghost children who are walking around upset because they will destroy you basically um you know so so there definitely are some things but then there are some other things where it's like yeah it says those four ghouls that, you know, uh, Spectre, those all seem unavoidable. Um, so it, it is interesting to, to definitely read this whole thing through and be like, well, there are some things that you can think your way through and maybe some other things that your players are going to have to get super creative or be really great at running away in a place that they can't leave. Um, you yeah. Know, to, to I mean, there is a section specifically titled One Must Die. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. Scratch exactly. that out, but all of them must die. <laughs> <laughs> it's a typo. It's Game of Thrones now. <laughs> uh, Neil, what did you think of the crunch? That's rough. Like, it says, oh, here's another way to start your adventure. I'm like, no, I think this is the way to stop it. Like, a full stop to the adventure. Like, I think. And I guess the other thing would be interesting to see, because clearly this will be in the back of the book based on the reference to page 216. Granted, the pages on the PDF itself are lower. So this is clearly in the back of the book as a completely alternate way to start. But how's the normal way? Like, should I be, my players be even more afraid of what's really in store for them? Like... The shambling mount is a, it's a CR5 with excess of 130 hit points. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> That's the D20. They have to run. <laughs> the, other, the other thing is, and this is purely a DM discretion on how you run your table, but if you don't allow your players to level truly level up without going to town or training or doing anything like that, like, what happens? Like, do they not get to go? <laughs> and now they really are level one through the whole thing. Also, is there any way these players are ever going to sleep in here? Is the other like crunchy thing that I thought like, no, you just have ghosts and shades just slip through the walls and floors. A yeah. single thirty-eight rooms in a single encounter, and then hopefully you make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That and and I did think about that too. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I would ever want to go to sleep in a place called death house. Right. Um, and so I don't know that my PCs are ever, I mean, maybe out of necessity, if they're forced to, uh, they might, but yeah, yeah, it is very interesting. Um, so let's, let's go around the table and let's talk about, uh, this adventure, reading through it, um, checking it out, obviously we're like very pro the fluff, a little like, man, this is kind of hard and I don't, don't want to kill my PCs. Like I don't enjoy wiping the party, um, you know. Um, so when you're reading through this, uh, does it make you want to buy Curse of Strahd? Are, are you excited? Does it make you more or less excited for Curse of Strahd? Allison, we'll start with you. 
Um, this definitely makes me more excited to buy and then later run Curse of Strahd. Still have to finish getting through Out of the Abyss, which will be probably a couple more months at the rate my group is moving. Um, so I'm extremely excited to have it run by, by my Saturday DM first um, to experience it on the player's side, which will be nice. Um, I am afraid of killing them all, as, as fun as it can be to, you know, kind of, you know, I've never had a TPK, uh, but I feel like this might be one of those things where that happens. So I guess we'll see, um, you know, how my players handle it. And, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, some of my players have been playing since before I was born. They are clever. They know what they're doing. They always stump me all the time. So we'll see uh, if they can make it out or if the house even lets them make it out. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, maybe they'll be just tackling the house over and over again after every time they die. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Uh, Neil, what about you? uh, Does this make you excited for Curse of Strahd? Do you want to pick up the book now? It does because of the fluff. I mean, the adventure itself, I don't know that I would personally make it the start of a campaign i think it would work amazingly well at like a convention or just as a pure one shot and then given that the house is alive maybe and so you're at a convention you don't want people not to play anymore they it like raises up whoever dies and now that's just one more undead that the rest of the party has to fight but the fluff is so great and to know that there's over 200 pages of fluff potentially like this i don't i don't know how you couldn't buy Curse of Strahd. yeah yeah well and i think it it also helps them right that they they're not releasing a ton of content um and so Ooh. it does it always makes me hungry anytime watsi puts out a book i'm like yeah i'll get that cuz i just need my dnd <laughs> fix yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I feel the same way. Oh, new book to buy! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael Robbins, what about you? Uh, does this make you more or less excited for Curse of Strahd? Yeah, I'm gonna say like neutral uh, because I do like I do love the fluff, and I'm not that scared off by the deadliness of it because I, there are a lot of old Ravenloft adventures that were equally terrifying. Like <laughs> right, right. the Feast of Goblins, I still remember. Like my entire party, we all died. We we're the DM gleefully watched us all just get eaten. <laughs> and I just, yeah, not, uh, but I don't like, I feel like in general, I think that Ravenloft still appeals to a certain group of people. Like not everyone mm-hmm. who sits down to play D and D wants that Gothic feel. And so I don't necessarily know one way or the other, or how my group feels about it to know if that would be a good purchase but like for that genre like this adventure i think was a really good preview if the whole book like neil was saying if the whole book is going to have that level of fluff and atmosphere and mood to it i think it'll be really good yeah yeah and you can you know between that and the haunted one preview that we saw uh i definitely think they it's nice to see them say you know what we know exactly what this product is this is what it's going to be, and we're we're going a hundred percent in that direction. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, it makes me excited for also you know who knows what what future releases could be um, because it, it makes you feel like yeah when they do you know Eberron or Mistara or uh, Planescape they're going to lean a hundred percent in that direction. So uh, or or Spelljammer even. So yeah. Spelljammer. There was a cool. I thought that there was a cool spot for fluff. Um, that if I was running it, I might try to expand upon. But, you know, in the very beginning of the adventure, they talk about how they want uh, the Curse of Strahd to go, like, to provide the party with a little bit more information about Barovia, like what Barovia was like before it got sucked into Ravenloft. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, in the death house, there's the library, and they say there's like thousands of books, and some of them are history books. Well, the history of where? If someone sat down to look at any of those books, it wouldn't be about a place that anyone would recognize. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, what does that look like? And maybe that is expanded on in the adventure, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I really yeah, hope. We'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will find out soon. Some of you listeners out there, you already know. Uh, so, <laughs> but we definitely want to know what you out there think of the Death House adventure. Uh, again, you can check it out for free. We'll link it up over in the show notes at thetomeshow.com where you can also comment on what your thoughts are, or you can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Tome Show. I think that is going to do it for this episode of the round table. Allison Rossi, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter. My username is at charm underscore underscore person. Or you can find uh, me and my group on Twitch. Uh, we play on Roll20 doing D&D Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's twitch.tv slash padfoot240. Nice. Are you guys still playing third edition? Yes. Um, we're thinking about wrapping up within the next couple months, I believe, uh, and then starting a 5e campaign. Oh. So we'll be doing that for a little bit, then upgrading. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And uh, Neil Powell, where can people find you? If you, I guess if you wanted to find me personally, you could go to Twitter, and my handle is at Jokemoniac, like Jack of All Trades, Master of None, E-F. Oh, there, now you know how I made it. And if you go on to iTunes, you can look for the Dungeon Masters block, and I will be on there. Uh, And Michael Robbins, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am on Google Plus and Facebook as just myself, Michael Robbins. Um, And I have a new adventure up on the DMs Guild called Seeking the Board Set in the Forgotten Realms. Yes, and it is an awesome adventure. It was last week's DMs Guild pick of the episode. And people should check it out because it's actually the beginning of something quite great. Um, So there's going to be two more adventures coming from you as well, uh, at the Mm -hmm. very least. So check Mm -hmm. that out. There's a final segment we've started doing every week here on the Roundtable. We're highlighting a different DM's Guild product. Oh, I'm sorry. We're highlighting a different Doomagoo product every week to give designers a chance to shine. This week's highlighted DM's Guild, or Doomagoo product, is... Recipe Crafting for Consumables from Ryan Hagen. This pay-what-you-want product is a whopping 51 pages. It introduces new mechanics for PCs with tool proficiencies. By spending some time, effort, and gold, they can gain new abilities, items, and trinkets that will help them on their adventures without breaking the current AC and damage bounding. In addition, it can serve as a place to pour extra gold into when your players are walking around with heavy pockets. Plus, there's 13 extra creatures in this PDF. There's a direct link to Recipe Crafting for Consumables by Ryan Hagen over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Check it out now. It's a pay-what-you-want product. All right, everyone. You can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition world I'm building at worldbuilderblog.me. 
There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. All kinds of new monsters, magic items, that good stuff. Links to my DMs Guild products. Check it out. Worldbuilderblog.me Thank you for listening. Thank you to my panelists, Allison, Neil, and Michael. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup and to Sam Dillon for getting this podcast out there on the airwaves. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the Roundtable.